we're finishing our series on carols, and we're going to look at the carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now, the lyrics to this carol were written sometime between the 8th and 12th century. We don't know exactly for sure, but we do know that a lot of churches during that time, they would have this portion of the service where they would read a psalm, and then they would either sing or chant a uh, series of, of lyrics that started with the letter O. And this idea, this, this phrase, O come, O come, Emmanuel, birthed the song that uh, many of us know and love today. Now, early in the, in the 19th century, an Anglican priest named John Mason Neal was reading through an ancient book of hymns called the Psalterorium Cantionum Catholicarum. I'm not making that up. He was reading through this. Now, some people, you know, they, they golf or they fish for relaxation. Evidently, um, Father Neil liked reading ancient hymns in his spare time. But anyway, he could read and he could speak over 20 different languages. That's pretty impressive, right? And so he should have been a leading scholar, a leading preacher in the Anglican church. But evidently, some people got kind of jealous of his intellect. And so through a very political process in the Anglican church, they banished him to preach in a, in a forgotten island, the Madeira Islands off the coast of Africa. And everybody thought that would be the end of it. Now, the cool thing about Father Neil, though, was that he didn't whine, he didn't pout, didn't moan about his... Uh, situation. What he did was on a very, very small salary, the guy started an orphanage. He started a school for girls. He started a ministry where he would reach out to tell prostitutes about Jesus and help rescue them out of the prostitution uh, uh, trade. And so this guy was just known um, on the Madeira Islands for just his incredible servant's heart in the midst of some very difficult situations. So when he came across this hymn in a Latin text, he could read it no problem. He translated it into English. It wasn't long before this hymn got back to England, and then it jumped across the pond to the United States uh, and to America, all of the Americas. And so this is uh, kind of interesting to me that some church leaders tried to banish this humble man, but we're still talking about him today. It kind of points out the fact that God loves to use humble, unknown people uh, to accomplish his will and bring glory to his name. I want you to enjoy this version of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
Kind of a haunting melody there, isn't it? Um, this whole basis of the talk today is this word Emmanuel. This on your listening guide, or if you're following along on U version um, online, Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Y'all probably knew that. But here's what I want to ask you How many of you have ever prayed a prayer and somewhere in the prayer you've said, Oh God, be with us? Right? Anybody done that? Four of us. Okay. The rest of you. This doesn't apply. Some of us have prayed, oh, God, be with us as we go on our trip. And we've prayed specifically because we go about 500 miles when we go see my parents in the panhandle. Oh, God, be with us and help our children not to kill each other so we don't have to kill them and we can have a great trip to Borger, Texas. Some of us have prayed, oh, God, be with us when we go Christmas shopping at the mall and let us find a parking place in Jesus name. Right. At this time of year. Some of us have prayed, oh God, be with me on this blind date. Help them to be good looking, semi-sane and semi-normal, right? You've prayed that prayer before. God, be with me. God, be with me as I take finals. Anyone ever done that one? Oh God, be with me. In seminary, 
I had this one professor and he would always pray before our test, but especially before finals, he would say, let us pray. And everybody go, yes, let us pray because these were pretty rough finals. All the finals, there weren't any, um, uh, multiple choice tests, anything. It was all essay. And so you would write for two and a half hours, just, you know, he'd say, what about this? And you have to write this out. Well, this one professor, he would always pray, dear God, help these students to remember in exact proportion to the amount of time they've spent studying. And I'm not kidding. You would hear people go, no, Lord, don't do that. We need a miracle. You'd hear people just opposing the uh, the professor's prayer. We need something big going on here. What exactly does this name of God, this name of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, what does it mean if God is going to be with us? Well, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. This is Matthew's account of the Christmas story. A little bit different than the one you hear read uh, every year in Luke chapter 2. We'll read Luke chapter 2 tomorrow night at the Christmas service. But in this one, the angel has appeared to Joseph, whose teenage preg- uh, teenage wife that he's... Uh, she's not married yet, but in, in their culture, they assume that, that engagement was just as serious as uh, the actual marriage. But they're betrothed, and so... The angel appears to Joseph and says this in verse 21. She, talking about Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, the announcement that all Israel had been waiting for, that this song, this chant, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means, they knew what it meant. It meant to be the savior of the world. It meant that God was going to come rescue us. But this is kind of different because the announcement came to Joseph and, and to a teenage girl that he's not even married to. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now, what's going on here? Matthew's going to give you a little bit of backstory. He's going to fill in something here. And he's actually going to quote Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So I wanted to jump back there and show you that verse before we come back to what Matthew says. Isaiah seven fourteen says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The sign will be this. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, some of you are looking up there and you're saying, well, how come that one starts with an I and the one that's on our listening guide starts with an E? Here's the explanation. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, it was written in Hebrew, there weren't any vowels. There weren't any I's and E's and O's and things like that. And so really, when we translate into our language or into other languages, we're really guessing and just kind of basing it on pronunciation. The New Testament was written in Greek. And Greek, when they are translating things, they just said, it seems to us that, it, that the pronunciation should start with an E. Here's the, here's the bottom line. They're both correct. Whichever way you see it, I or E, they both mean God with us and both are correct. So spelling aside, here's what amazes me about this thing with Isaiah. Isaiah is writing this 740 years before Jesus Christ is born. Doesn't that amaze you that 700 years, seven centuries before the event, Isaiah's going, um, and he's being very specific. You hear a lot of, you know, a lot of the astrology, a lot of the, the, the people who can fortune tellers, all that stuff. They're very, very vague. Isaiah's very specific. A virgin will give birth to a son as if that has ever happened before or will ever happen again. You know, a virgin is going to give birth and you're going to name him Emmanuel. All right. And he's going to be God's son. Now, this is one of 50 prophecies in the Old Testament. Prophecies about Jesus the Messiah are going to be born. Hundreds, some of them, thousands of years before Jesus Christ ever makes it on the scene. Jesus fulfills all 50, and it's one of the proofs. This is one of the 50 that helps us understand that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Now, back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. 
He quotes Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, they, he just tags on that little explanation. Here's what the name means, God with us. He's saying the most awesome event in history that all of Israel has been waiting for, it's time we're about to um, see Jesus. We're about to see the Messiah. Now, everyone reading this, or more likely hearing this, because a lot of people couldn't read back in the Old Testament times, but everybody hearing this would have said, now, God with us, um, we know that no one can see God's face and live. They knew this because Moses, one of the, the greatest leaders of the entire Israel, uh, Israelite nation, he one time asked in Genesis chapter 33, he asked God, show me your glory. And God said, okay, here's what I'm going to do for you. He said, you can't see my face. He said, I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock and I'm going to pass by. And when I pass by, I will let you see my back because you cannot see my face because no human being can come into the holiness of God and live, survive. And so everybody knowing they were going, God with us, you can't see God. You can see him from a distance. Maybe you can see him back, but you can't see his face. These people would have known that that uh, after Moses time, they built the tabernacle or during Moses time, they built the tabernacle, which was basically a big tent about the size of our worship center. And in this tent, they were very specific. God was very specific, specific about all the things they had to do. And they had an outer court where the men could come. And they had an, a, another court where the priests could come. And then they had this one special place, the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could come one day a year on something called the Day of Atonement. And he only got to go in there if he did everything right for the to, to cover the sins of the people. He had to do all these sacrifices. Then he had to do all of these rituals to cover his own sin because no one can walk into the presence of God with any sin in his life and live. And so it was so strict that they would even tie a rope around his ankle. There would be a bell on his ankle because only one dude got to go in there one time a year, only if he did everything right. And if there was any sin in his life when he stepped into the presence of God, God killed him because you cannot come with sin in your life into the presence of a holy God. That's how serious the holiness of God is. And these people were going, yeah, okay, we know that God is with us because they knew all of the history of Israel. And they would say, well, God is with us like, you know, when he's in the temple and God is is with us and we kind of see a cloud sometimes when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness. God is with us in a cloud of fire, a cloud of uh, by day and a uh, pillar of fire by night. God is with us like that, but we cannot come into his presence or we will die. And you get to Matthew and he says some startling words. He says, God is with us here today. And he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And everybody would have been going, Wow. And see, that's, that's how you, it helps you understand why when the angel shows up to the, to the shepherds, these guys out, outside of Bethlehem and says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And they said, here'll be the sign. He'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes. He'll be lying in a manger. And you know what the shepherds did? They go, we got to check this out. Because God is with us and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And, and what was it that after the shepherds came and they saw the baby lying in the manger, what was it that made them run back into the fields rejoicing and saying, glory to God in the highest? What was it that caused the wise men to travel hundreds of miles over a period of two years? They weren't there on the night of Jesus' birth. I'm sorry to tell you that. The Bible says that they came into the house where Jesus was and they brought these gifts. What was it that caused them to bring these gifts that only a king should get? And they fall on their faces to worship this baby. It's this fact, this fact alone. God 
is with us. Now, the message of Christmas is that God is not some distant, far-off, uninvolved God. God has moved in, and he's now with us. He doesn't just watch over us. He walks with us. Look at what John says in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Those of you who have been around church any amount of time, who is the Word we're talking about here? Jesus. How do we know that? You skip down to verse 14 of the same chapter. So the Word became human and made His home among us. Have you ever heard of any other situation where God becomes flesh other than Jesus Christ, the, the Christmas story? No. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of God's, uh, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And just for fun, I, I wanted, to, wanted you to see the message translation of this because I love how it says it. Same verse, John 1, 14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like that. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. God became very personal when Jesus showed up and he got this name, Emmanuel. God is with us. He's in the neighborhood. That's amazing. And most of us don't believe it. Most Christians I know do not live as if God is with them. Let's just be real honest. Because it would change us. Really? He's with me because I don't feel it. Well, he said he's with you. He proved it on the cross. But we don't live like that. And see, here's part of the problem. Christmas, the time of Christmas, is the great magnifier of whatever situation you're in. Christmas magnifies the good times. If life is good and all the family's good and the fire's crackling and, and snow's falling. I remember, I think it was two or three years ago, those of you who came on Christmas Eve, we walked out, big honking snowflakes are coming down. Y'all remember that? That was awesome. And ever since then, my kids are like, uh, why doesn't it snow every Christmas Eve? I'm not in charge of that. Let's talk to God. You know, it's really cool when it does happen. But it magnifies the good times. Here's the, here's the other thing about Christmas, though. If you're going through a tough time, it magnifies the pain. And, and some of you, just the reality is that you've lost someone that you, you loved this last year. And, and Christmas magnifies that pain. If you're in bad relationships, Christmas magnifies that. If, you, if, you don't, if you're single, it magnifies the singleness. And if you don't like your family and you have to get together with your family, it magnifies how much they irritate you, right? Christmas magnifies things. And... Um, I, I just was thinking this week about the whole deal in Newtown, Connecticut. You think that Christmas isn't magnified this year because there should be some six-year-olds and seven-year-olds running around. And, and let me just say, God is with us in the good times. God's with us in the bad times, too. And, and the answer is not God in our schools. The answer is God in our lives. The people who claim to be Christ followers are not living as if Emmanuel, God, is with us. It's, it's not, we've removed prayer from schools. You mean, you mean if, we, if we institute the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, if we say that, it'll magically make everything? No, our nation has turned its back on God. And, and I got some kind of scary news for you today. It's not going to get better. The Bible says it will get worse until the king of kings returns and says enough. 
We've got to prepare our families, our loved ones, our friends for the time when the king of kings will show up and do his business. Now, some of you, you know, you're just, some of you, we've talked about this before, feel shame. And, and you're thinking, why would God want to be with me because of my past? Well, I want to focus on three things today from God's word. They're, they're really not that profound, but they're true. And you need to hear them this Christmas season. First one is God is with you. That's pretty profound, isn't it? God is with you. Not just with me, not just with Billy Graham, not just with other Christ followers. God is with you. Um, I want you to look at Luke one twenty eight. Gabriel appeared to her, to Mary, and said, Greetings. This evidently was a very polite angel. Greetings, favored woman. Um, we should start trying that. that well, maybe not. We may get smacked around here. Um, this word favored woman, or if you've read another translation, it says highly favored one. And a lot of people have misrepresented that, and they said, oh, Mary, Mary was chosen because she's better than the rest of us. No, this same word, highly favored one, actually means highly graced one. She was graced because God had decided to come into her life and to, to uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, impregnate her with the Son of God. She was highly favored because the grace of God was upon her. The only other time this word is used in the entire New Testament is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, where it's applied to followers of Jesus Christ. Every believer, everyone who's bowed the knee to Jesus, the Bible says you are graced. You are highly favored. It's the same term that was used of Mary. We're all highly favored because we have Christ in our lives. So he says, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. He's with you in good times and in bad. And, and if you're struggling this Christmas, here's what I want you to see. God's word promises that God will be with you. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 1.3, one of my favorite verses. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the what? Source of all comfort. It goes on to say, God will comfort you in your times of affliction so that, there's always a so that, so that you may comfort others in their times of affliction with the same comfort that God gave you during your affliction. God is the great source of comfort. And this word comfort comes from two Greek words, para, para, Cleo, which means to come alongside. It's the picture of you're so emotionally or physically messed up, you can't even walk through the day and a friend comes and picks you up and actually carries you through the day. That's the idea of the comforter. And the Bible says God, Emmanuel, is the source of all comfort. Now, we, we don't really believe that, is what I said before. And, and let me explain it this way. Years ago, we went to hell on earth, otherwise known as Chuck E. Cheese. Um, it was the first time we'd ever been there. And um, you have to understand that, that Hannah was about three. And I don't even remember why we went. It wasn't a birthday. I think we just got some extra money one time and we decided for some un, unbelievable reason to go to Chuck E. Cheese. So we show up there and Hannah had this unnatural fear of large... Uh, life-size characters. One time we went to Six Flags and we walk in right in, you know, we do all of the, the security stuff. We walk in right where the circle is, the fountains and the, the carousel. And, and we don't even see this. And Hannah goes, that dog is going to get me. 
We thought she was talking about a real dog. It was Wiley Coyote. He was walking around taking pictures with everybody. And she's like, he's going to get me. He's going to get me. So back to the cheese. We go to Chuck E. Cheese. And Hannah, from the moment we walk in, she said, Chucky's going to get me. And so we're playing games. And she's looking for Chucky. You know, and we go to, to eat something that's like cardboard with a little sauce on top. You know, it's called pizza. She's sitting in the booth over here. Janie's here. I'm on this side. And then my, uh, Caleb and Rachel, my other two kids are on this side. And so she's as far away from the stage as can be. But what happens is, you know, you got the little mechanical Chuck E. Cheese. He's not little. He's humongo Chuck E. Cheese over there. He's playing and he's got his little band. And we're like, Hannah, he's fake. He's not coming off the stage. Just wait a little bit. They're going to quit. And so he quits and the curtain closes. We're like, see, he's gone. Y'all know what happens, don't you? There's a stupid door beside the stage that swings open. And here comes Chucky. And Hannah goes, it's Chucky. I am not exaggerating at all. And she wraps her whole body around Janie's head. She's on this side going, Chucky's going to get me. Chucky, it's Chucky. She is irrational. And the more she screams, idiot starts walking toward us. I'm going, no, don't come over here. And we're like, Hannah, it's okay. We will protect you. You don't have to worry about Chucky. And, and, and it's like she's looking at me like, you don't know what that rat can do. He's a nice rat, baby. It's okay. Daddy's here. And she didn't care. And most of you live like that. You live like the God of the universe. Emmanuel, you live like he's not really with you. Because if you believed it, it would change your life. The way you looked at things would be radically different if you believe that God is with you. When you're lost, Emmanuel means he is with you as your guide. When you're alone, Emmanuel means God is with you as your friend. When you suffer loss, Emmanuel means God is with you as your comforter. When you're sick, Emmanuel means God is with you as your healer. When you're weak, Emmanuel means God is with you as your strength. And when you sin, Emmanuel means God is with you as your savior. If you're a Christ follower, the angel says to you today, Greetings, favored man, woman. God is with you. Live like that's a reality. And not just something you read on the pages of a book. Second thing. God was with you. I told you these weren't profound. God is with you. God was with you. And let me tell you why I'm, I'm bringing this up. Because sometimes we have to live through a situation, look back in the past to see that God really was with us. And, and the reason we always look at God's word, the Bible, is because if it was true then, it's true today. Um, Joseph, not, not, the, uh, not the husband of, of Mary, Joseph in the Old Testament, um, he was one of 12 sons, and he was the favored son, and his brothers didn't like that he was a favored son. And so they decide, one day they say, let's kill him. Let's beat him up. Let's kill him. The nicer brother says, no, let's sell him into slavery. And so they, they beat him up, they throw him in the pit, and the Bible tells us that God was with him. Now, when Joseph was in the pit, did it feel like God was with him? Not to Joseph. They sell him into slavery. He goes to this to Egypt and, and this man named Potiphar buys him and he becomes a slave in Potiphar's house. And the Bible says God was with him in Potiphar's house. Did it feel like God was with him? 
Probably not to Joseph. He later gets accused of a crime that he did not commit. He gets thrown into prison. And Genesis 39, 21 says, God was with him in prison. Did it feel like it to Joseph? Probably not. And he goes through this really tough time. You read Genesis 40 and 41. And and this is a tough time where he's in prison. He's an innocent man. The whole time it says, but God was with him. But God was with him. God was with him. Eventually he gets put in the second place in command in all of Egypt. You think he felt God was with him then? Yeah, probably so. And he his brothers show up. He finally gets to confront his brothers. And, and y'all know if it was y'all, you would make them pay, right? Joseph says, you meant to hurt me? But God was with me and meant this for good. Holy cow. How he had changed because he could see that God had walked with him through everything. And God did some amazing things in his life. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking, God was with me back 19 years ago when Janie was pregnant with Caleb. We were in Seattle, Washington with my parents. And we had just toured the underground in in Seattle. Seattle has a whole underground city. It's a crazy story. If you ever go there, you need to read the history and go see it. The very last thing that Janie saw was one of the original toilets. And, and it was this ornate thing. I mean, it looked like China. It had all the little designs on it. It was just this beautiful toilet in this museum for the underground. And that's another story. And, and so she says, I need some air. And she walks outside and she passes out. And, and you know, she was severely dehydrated. We didn't know it at the time. Um, she'd been throwing up a lot, but we didn't know how much. I didn't realize how much. And she throws up. I mean, she, she passes out. And I check her pulse and there is none. And, and I try to find breath, and, and there's no breath. And, and I'm freaking out, and I'm screaming at my dad, call 911, call 911. And dad just panics, and he's running into walls and stuff and runs in. They finally call 911. God was with me as as I, I decided I have to do CPR on my wife. And so I stick her... her tongue is all back in her throat. And so I stick my hand down and I'm pulling her tongue out of the way. And she wakes up and she goes, wah, wah, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm helping, baby. I'm just trying, I'm here for you. You know, they came and checked her out and she was severely dehydrated. And they said, dude, you got to get her to a hospital. And we didn't want to do that in Seattle. And so God healed her enough to get her home. We got her in the hospital and she gained 10 pounds in 24 hours because they just stuck fluid in her arms. And, and God was with us during that time. God was with us when um, a few, actually several years ago, when surprise, we got pregnant with number four. And we hadn't planned on a fourth child. And so Janie came and said, we're pregnant. And I said, no way. And the pregnancy test said way. And, and, and so we're like, okay, um, okay. So we chose a boy and a girl name because we always wanted to be surprised and and uh, we adjusted and we we're praying and all we ever prayed for was healthy babies. We didn't we didn't pray for anything. Just God, God, let them be healthy. And and uh, God was with us when she started having complications and we lost our fourth child and and some friends came and surrounded us. And it was it was a tough time. But God was with us when when she lost that that baby and God was with us. Ten and a half years ago when we started New Life Community Church and we didn't have a dime to our name, didn't have a place to meet. And God worked with us when we didn't have, we didn't get paid. And, and God worked with us. He was with us through church uh, conflict. And, and there's been a lot of it. The, you don't have a church without conflict. And, and God has walked us up to this time. Five years ago when we bought this building and it was a piece of junk. 
Um, y'all can't even tell it now, but when we first came in, all of the ceiling tiles were nasty and, and all of the insulation, there were about 25 leaks in the roof. And, and so we just had to knock it all down because there's mold and mildew everywhere. So we knocked it all down and this was one open building and my kids could stand behind a pile. There were so many piles of, of ceiling tile and, and insulation, all that stuff. They could stand behind it. You couldn't see them from the front up there. I don't remember how many um, loads of junk we had hauled off in those huge, you know, dumpsters and God was with us during that time, and, and God is with us through it all, but sometimes you have to look back to see it, right? You have to live through something to see God was with me. Third thing is God will be with you. I told you it wasn't profound. I, I warned you ahead of time. God will be with you. Now, I want you to imagine Mary. If she could have somehow seen into the future, she has this incredible secret that I'm going to carry God's son. I'm going to deliver God's son. And she has this secret. And and just imagine the comfort it would have been to her if she could have seen into the future. God will be with me when I have to tell Joseph. Because how do you tell Joseph? I'm pregnant and, and, and I ain't ever been with anybody. She would have been comforted to see that God was with her and was with Joseph when the angel shows up and goes, yo, dude, she's telling the truth. It's God. Okay. She would have seen that God would be with her when um, she gave, when she had to go a hundred miles in the ninth month of pregnancy and had to give birth to God's son and there was no room and they had to lay him on a a bed of hay in a manger. She would have, uh, she would have seen that God would be with her when they had to flee the country because a madman named King Herod was jealous because someone dared to call Jesus the king of the Jews. We've come to see where they've lain him, the king of the Jews. He got jealous, so he kills every baby boy in the city of Bethlehem under the age of two. God warned him in a dream, get up, flee to to Egypt because they're going to try to kill my son. She would have known God would have been with her during that time. She would have known God will be with me when Jesus is 12 years old. And, and what they would do is they'd take their child to the temple. And, and they would um, allow them to, to be... At 13, a Jewish child became... A boy became a son of the covenant. He became an adult in that society, part of the covenant. And, and they, she would have known that God would be with her when they left. And Jesus stayed behind. And they were frantically searching for the boy for three days. They finally get back. They find him in the temple. And Jesus said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? She would have known that God would be with her at a wedding feast when, when they run out of, of wine and, and Jesus performs his first miracle, turns water into wine. She would have known that God will be with me when my son is falsely accused. He's beaten and nails are driven through his wrists and through his feet. And God will be with me when he breathes his last breath and he looks up to heaven and he says, it is finished. She would have known that God would be with her when the earth quaked, when the, when the sky became dark. And when she goes home on that first night without her son and she thought, this is not the way it's supposed to be. She would have known God will be with me on that lonely Sabbath day when they worship God and God's son is gone. And the second night when she goes to bed and can't sleep because her son is no longer there. And she would have known God will be with me on the third day when the tomb is empty and my son has conquered death and the grave. Nobody else gets excited about that? Thanks, Dwayne. Dwayne's listening. Do you see how it would change our lives if we believed that God was, God is, God always will be with me? Do you understand how that would change? I want you to think about how your life would change as you watch this video, and then we'll wrap up. I think I'd risk more. 
I might not judge people so quickly. I'm pretty sure my heart would get bigger. That would change everything. That would change everything. That would change everything. Right? Stay in the Bethlehem story. I think I get it. 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 its true meaning. Would it make any difference if you really realize God was with you? He was, he is, he will be with us. Here's what Paul said, Romans 8, 35 and 37 through 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God was. God is. God will be with you. Let's pray together. The real question is, are you with God? Had some folks last Sunday enter into the kingdom of God. And I think there's some folks here today that probably need to do that. It's very simple. According to scripture, you call on the name of the Lord. You say, God, I know I'm messed up. I know Christ died for me. And I ask you to save me based on what Christ did. It's very simple. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And then the second part of that is you live your life as if Emmanuel, God, is with you. Father, raise up a generation of people who live because if our nation ever needed it, we need it now. Christ followers who are fully devoted, radical, radically obedient to knowing God and making Him known. Remind us 
of the reality that God is with us this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.